Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Barca Times Podcast. I'm your host, Jory Yankov, and today with me again are Pukit and Alvin. We're going to discuss the, obviously, couple of things. Levante, result, performance. We're going to discuss Real Sociedad coming up in midweek. And a couple of uh, news that came in late last night on or early this morning, and that was the Champions League draw. Um, <laughs> memories of the remontada. And also we're going to discuss the um, Ricky Puch saga, if you like. Um, that will be a whole different section that we're going to make. Uh, but first, let's start with the Levante one. And guys, I saw, how to say, pretty, not negative, I want to say, but not that positive comments about that game last night. And um, if, you, if you don't really have, if you're a casual fan of the football, let's say, and you just watch it on your free time, you, you're going to see... Lots of chances created, uh, lots of scrambles in the Levante box, um, a lot of movement, a lot of players involved in the attack for Barcelona. And you're going to ask yourself, well, that wasn't that bad, was it? <laughs> but I feel that we're going to have uh, pretty much a lot of topics to cover in terms of the performance and, uh, let's say, individual performance of some of the players and, uh, in general, the tactical shape of the team like I've I've seen a couple of um, posts on Twitter I've seen a couple of uh, heat maps and um, let's say that if we if we say that we have a solid structure information that would be a lie we don't really pretty much know where the players are going to play we don't know who is going to play and we don't know how they're going to play and um, before I go to poke it it's just the the latest example was Yesterday, starting with uh, Coutinho, Griezmann, Messi, and Breitweid, with um, that was suggested. Okay, we have four attacking players. Breitweid playing as a striker, and everybody else pretty much figured it out. Unfortunately, we see another very very interesting decision from Ronald Koeman playing Breitweid on the left wing, and uh, Messi more or less uh, filling the role of striker. Um, did it work? Did it not work? To be quite honest with you, with the amount of chances that they created, somebody can argue that it worked, but there was not much of a consistency and not really, let's say, an idea how the team is going to play and where the, where the players should have been placed, let's say, and where their position on the pitch is. That is still a little bit of a question mark. But Puki, what do you feel was the, the Levante game and... Um, did you enjoy it first of all? How did you how did you watch it? What did you feel about it? <laughs> like um, funny you mentioned that the game was not at all enjoyable for sure for any Barca fan. Of course, we did create chances in the first half, like that absolute sitter from Longley. Braithwaite had a good chance, a great save by Levante's goalkeeper who had a great game by the way, and one Griezmann chance as well that we missed. So not really clinical in front of goal. But uh, with, you mentioned about the lineup. I think Komen just went with the most experienced attacking lineup he had with um, Braithwaite, Messi, Griezmann, and Coutinho. Uh, and Coutinho played really well, of course, his touches and uh, the way he was linking up with Braithwaite and Messi. You know, he did play really well. Uh, overall, the game, 
didn't like very much you know we were not we were dominant in possession but not as dominant as we should have been uh, i saw Le- levante also had that great chance didn't they were test they can just build us out like always um sergino des was caught on the wrong side of that player i don't remember the name of that player um, levante striker and um, he should have scored he missed it of course and i also in the second half uh, how levante kind of you know just um, attacked us this move past our defense like it wasn't even there a few times you know they, they were also doing that one touch pass thing and attacking very quickly and uh, really good from levante put up a good fight but i think when uh, pedri and trincao came in i think we had more intensity in our midfield in the attack and trincao playing out of position on the left wing he usually play, plays on the right wing or as a striker uh, played really well um uh messi of course on the score sheet <laughs> finally when uh, an assist from de jong breathfield actually you know um, was actually one of the best players on the pitch he did all the dirty work work off the ball as well uh, apart from you know playing as a striker on on the left wing in the first half like you mentioned so really uh, you know uh, uh, like a shout out to breathfield played really well um one of course we're going to talk about it talk about this at the end about Ricky Puj not playing last night which we all hoped and we also joked about you know a few days ago joked about it that you know no matter who plays in the midfield Ricky Puj won't start uh, even if he have injuries and all of that so not not the best game for us but uh, i think in the end we got the three points we are in eighth position with 17 points still a huge mountain to climb What do you think, Alvin? What stood out for you, and what could have done? Uh, what could we have? We could we have done better in terms of a performance? Um. Well, to be honest, um, Barcelona, the Barcelona we know from the past, uh, would have been winning that game four nil, three nil, four nil, five nil. Remember, Levante is a relegation uh, battle team. They are currently in um, 18th position, if I'm not mistaken. So they are in the drop zone. So the fact that our standards have dropped so low um, is the is the troubling part, regardless of whether we won one nil or not. So a team like that should not be beating us or, or causing us trouble. But our standards have really lowered, and so that's a a problem if we're talking about fighting for La Liga. Um, Levante had about two chances to score, one which was basically, you know, one-on-one with um, Testegen, uh, point blank, and the striker, unfortunately, just fortunately for us, should I say, um, you know, just uh, shot almost straight to Testegen and he caught the ball. If he had scored that goal, and they went ahead first, we all know what happens when. Barcelona goes behind first, so that was a concerning for me. Um, they also had a few other chances where they they ran past the defenders, but they are not quite clinical, so they weren't able to put um, those chances away. But given that Levante are a relegation team, we know that a better team will definitely do better with that chance. Um, so th- that's troubling for me. And when it comes to going forward, um, it seems that Kuman is confused uh, tactically. I haven't rewatched the game because I do reviews, and I think I'm going to do one today. But 
from what I saw, I really couldn't tell like what was the plan. Because during the first half, there was sort of a 4-3-3 vibe going on. But then at any given time, you know, players would move in and out of their positions. So it wasn't really clear what was happening. And the fact that he started Braithwaite as a left winger, despite him, his sole purpose of existing at Barcelona to be our number nine, to create a, a, a structure in the front there to, to give space to the wingers. That didn't make sense because Braithwaite is not a left winger. And you could tell from the way he played um, that he's not used to playing in that position. So tactically, it seems that Kumen is now confused. Um, at least initially, he relied consistently on his uh, 4-2-3-1 formation with very consistent um, player selections. Um, so you could sort of say, well, are the players not living up to their roles? But now it seems even he is not sure of what to do tactically. So I think we're in trouble there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not sure uh, where we go from here. But I definitely know that the challenge we're going to face against uh, Sociedad, uh, it's going to be it's going to be tougher um, than what we face at Levante. So. I'm 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 a bit worried um, when it comes to that. Um, Puki, can you, speaking of the the, the Sociedad game, uh, can we just go through you know the lineups and what we expect to see? Uh, given that we're now playing games every three days, um, who yeah. do you think will be on the lineup and what formation do you think we're going to be using? Yeah, so good question uh, because we have a tough schedule. And after Sociedad, we have Valencia at the Camp Nou, which is also, although Valencia are not doing well in the league, but it's a key game. Uh, and I think learning from Levante's game, what Kuman should go with, the best 11, I think he'll go test again in goal. That doesn't change. Uh, Alba and Test as the fullbacks. Um, if he wants to rest Araujo, he will start Minguesa. Umtiti, I don't think he will start. Um, I, I don't think Umtiti has won that much amount of trust from Kuman. Of Kuman, uh, I think it'll be you know let's let's uh, let's have Minguesa and Longley in the in, in defense. I think Araujo will be rested for this one, or he comes on as a sub as a sub later. And uh, if Kuman is smart, uh, so he should go with uh, Pedri, the young. And Busquets in midfield, like uh, when he brought on Freddy last night uh, in the game against Levante. And up front should be <clears throat> uh, Griezmann as a number nine, Messi on the right, and probably Conrad on the left because he'll provide that intensity um, on the left wing. I think that should be the case. Uh, so it'll be a 4 3 3 for me. Uh, and uh, I think that's kind of our best 11 that can do something against Sociedad. Otherwise, it will be a, an even worse game than it was against Levante. I think that sh- should be the most balanced 11, and, you know, that squad can probably uh, give us some hope of a good performance and can, we can score goals with that, with that team. How do you think Sociedad is going to line up for this one, Juru? I think because for them and for us, I think it's the game of the season. 
uh, and if they beat us, if they manage to beat us, I think that they'll be putting out a statement, a real statement to win the league. What do you think? What do you, how do you think they're going to line up for this one? I I completely agree that uh, they're going to, especially if they manage to win that game, they're going to put a statement on on their aspirations of what they want to achieve in La Liga this season. But um, I think they had an eye on that game uh, the Barcelona game, especially for quite a while, and um, after managing to secure their uh, place in the Europa League uh, knockout stages um, against Napoli, they they haven't really put up uh, their best um, starting eleven against Eibar on the weekend, so they've uh, they salvaged the draw in there, and that is their sixth draw in a row uh, in all competitions. So there is a little bit of a extra motivation for them, if you like, uh, to kind of snap up that streak of draws and trying to go and win the game. Um, they have a couple of interesting players uh, this season, with uh, probably Oyarzaba and um, Porto being the most prolific ones. Uh, Oyarzaba with seven goals and two assists in La Liga, Porto with uh, four goals and two assists. They're leading, uh, they're leading uh, the team in those categories. Um, they, they're posing a real threat from the wings, uh, I feel like, because Oyarzaba obviously is a winger, Porto is obviously a winger, uh, and we haven't really, how to say it, secured uh, that place on the field in terms of defending-wise. Uh, we have uh, the wing-backs of Barcelona, in being Serginho Dest and Jordi Alba, the only people pretty much providing width in that uh, in that formation of Ronald Koeman, whatever the formation it is, basically because uh, we've not seen too much wingers uh, in Barcelona in recent, let's say, what, six months? Probably uh, Ansu Fati and Dembele are the only ones that providing that width and just the natural the natural winger, if you like. And Ansu Fati and Dembele both being injured. We've seen that uh, Ronald Koeman is pretty reluctant to, to give a chance to, um, to young wingers. So we have a, how to say it, like, we are demanding quite a lot from Jordi Alba and from Serginho Dest uh, playing forward. And in terms of the in terms of the defending, we've already seen that uh, the defense is quite insecure. And those type of players that are a little bit more um, that have a little bit more flair into them, that they can create something out of nothing, basically, they can be the problem for Barcelona. And we need to we need to for, uh, don't forget the fact that. They have a promising striker, Alexander Isak, who haven't still found his form yet, and he has only two goals this season. So I think at some point he's going to start scoring uh, some goals, and that that could be that could be a nice game for him, to be honest. Um, David Silva, obviously, uh, fit and ready to play as well. So I think they're going to come out with um, their absolutely. Um, Best team, if you like. Mikel Merino is going to play. David Silva is going to play. Um, I assume Isak is going to start that game. Uh, Porto and Oyarzabal definitely are starting that game. So I don't feel that we're going to see a team that is uh, happy to sit back, defend, and just absorb pressure. And more likely are going to, as Alvin mentioned before, I think they're going to try to score the first goal. Because the... The reaction of Barcelona when they concede first is not really, um, it's not really pleasant. It's kind of like, okay, we need to now work extra hard for that. That's for a that panic win. attack for us. 
Yeah, yeah, that that type of uh, we we get that type of feeling from the team. Um, When it's a nil-nil, everything is fine and we kind of work for the result and the the chances are coming. But the kind of the belief goes away from the team as soon as they concede a goal. And most of the times, the goals that they concede is not um, is not a brilliant play from the opposition. It's kind of Barcelona shooting themselves in the foot, if you like. So. I think the, there are chances for a lot of problems in that game. If, again, we approach the game with um, 15 attacking midfielders and just Sergio Busquets holding the, holding the midfield basically alone. Um, we, we've seen basically Real Sociedad having a quite a nice season so far. And um, another thing that I want to mention is their formation of play and the style of play. They've started um, seven times with a formation of 4-1-4-1. Um, those seven starts, they had uh, Zubimendi playing as a defensive midfielder with David Silva and Mikel Merino just a little bit in front of him. Eno Yarzabo and Porto on the wings, with Isak uh, being the lone striker. With that formation and that uh, style of play and that approach, they, in seven games, they've conceded three goals. Um, they won five, they draw one, and they lost one. Uh, the goals that they've scored are 16. So, as I said, a little bit more goal-scoring opportunity would be nice from uh, from Alexander Isak especially and from William Jose coming off the bench. But if they actually manage to to get that aspect of their game sorted, um, we're going to have quite a lot of problems uh, in that game. Um, let's see and let's hope that uh, that situation and Kuman is actually looking at what he can actually change and not just trying to fit his uh, best players on paper into the team. Uh, if we approach the game a little bit, uh, let's say, more cleverly, if we actually think about what can happen in the game, um, we, I think still we have the enough class to, to go in that game and actually get a decent result. Um, Alvin, how do you think that Barcelona is going to try to approach the game? Do we, do we feel the same way as we felt against Juventus and against Levante and just mix and match some players and hope for the best result and hope they find their way into the field or we or we're going to see something different this time? Um, I have a feeling that uh, Ronald Koeman will fall back on the double pivot um, because Sociedad has a, have a lot of exciting players Um I think David Silva will be key. Um, he usually plays in the middle, sort of as an attacking midfielder, um, thereabout. And he's very creative with his passes. Um, you know, he's, he's an older player, so he's not the, the, the type of player to, to be making very pacey runs. But we all know how creative he is in the middle. So I think Ronald Koeman will be tempted to, to try and... Uh, to try and uh, lock down that middle area. But, um, you know, Real Sociedad have Isak. Um, it depends whether they play Isak or William Jose. Um, they both have two goals um, this season, so they're not quite in form, but um, one of them will play. And so Ronald Koeman might be afraid of that as well and, and go a bit more defensive. Um, but as we've seen in the past few games, whenever Barcelona try to defend solely and, and, and don't play positively, we end up conceding anyways. 
and when we concede first, we then panic. So honestly, I think our game against Sociedad, in terms of the formations and lineups, this is as unpredictable as um, Kuman has been in the last um, in the last uh, in in this season, because we don't know what he's going to do exactly. Because we just won against um, we just won against Levante, but it was a one 0 victory that wasn't so convincing. So does he stick to what he was doing and try to improve, or panic and change everything? Because Sociedad is a stronger team than Levante, so I think this is the most unpredictable the situation has been. And given that you know Dembele is not available and Fati is not available. Uh, that makes things interesting. Does he go with Braithwaite as a winger, or does he include Trincao, who hasn't been, you know, so clinical in terms of his final product? So a lot of things are up in the air, and you know, we could go and on and on about the potential, uh, the potential options that Kumen has, but right now there doesn't seem to be any plan, um, in terms of what to do. It seems that everything is being made up on the go. And so I think tactically that gives um, Sociedad an advantage because I think they have a clear sort of idea. If you look at their their games, when they play maybe Napoli in the, in the Europa League, you see that they tend to play their stronger starting 11. When they play a weaker side in La Liga, they, they change and so forth. So there seems to be a consistent idea as to what they want to do. But for us, it's hard to tell, you know, what exactly are we trying to do? Um, so, so that's going to be interesting, and I, I really can't predict. I mean, I could tell you what I think, but um, right now, that's really, really um, unpredictable. And so, we now have to, you know, to tell the people what we think will be the final score and. I honestly don't know. I think it could go either way. I think the safe bet will be a draw because, you know, our Sociedad have been, have drawn like their last five games and um, they are not exactly in pitch perfect form. I mean, you know, getting those uh, five draws, is, it's an achievement, I guess, because that, that's points on the board, but it's still not as good as they were at the beginning of the season. So I think if we're able to get things organized a little bit, we'll be able to get a draw. I don't think we'll be able to get a win like we did at Levante. So I'll go for 2-2 two, two draw. Um, Pukit, what, what's your assessment? What do you think is going to happen? A 2-2 two, two draw? A high-scoring match? Oh, man. Like... I, I don't see us winning against Sociodad. I just don't see. And I think they're going to win one nil at the camp now. Sociodad are going to put out a statement that we're in just to win it. I think that's going to be the scoreline for me. I just don't see us, uh, you know, like we scraped through Levante. We lost against Juventus and all of the stuff that's been going on behind the scenes and everything. I don't think we can beat Sociodad. So I think it's like a one nil loss for us. What do you think, Joro? The score, according to you, should be or could be? Um, I have a feeling as well that we are quite far away from predicting a comfortable win. Um, 
I'm going for a one-one draw, and uh, I'm going to go even more specific. Is I'm sure it's going to be a one-one draw if Barcelona scores the first goal. Um, if Sociedad scores the first goal, I think we have potential. That game has the potential to be one of the worst uh, in um, so far in the season in terms of the way that uh, Sociedad can counter attack and how they can play in space. And we know that Barcelona is just pretty much um, the moment they concede a goal and they feel like they need to score immediately and they need to commit everybody forward So in terms of scoring that goal. So I'm going for a 1-1 draw and hopefully hopefully Barca can snatch something out of the game because the, the league table also is not really... Mm, not really looking positive at the minute. And um, w- with that being said, I'm going to go to the to the rival watch that we do <clears throat> pretty much every week. And uh, I'm going to go a little bit backwards, and that is the last game that we saw from the from Real Madrid. We played with Atletico Madrid, and I don't know what you think about that, guys. Did you have you have you seen the game, and um, do you have any thoughts on the game? But Real Madrid were coming from a one 0 away win against Sevilla. And uh, a pretty, a pretty much a training uh, match against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Absolutely nothing uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach offered to, in terms of making the game harder for Real Madrid and just trying to trying to upset them a little bit. So I think those two wins, pretty important wins, managed to to give them quite a lot of confidence in terms of we're still here and we can still manage to. To fight for some uh, for some titles and be a competitive team, um, many people were trying to were quick, let's say, to to bury them and say pretty much they're over. Everybody's old. Everybody's uh, this, that. They don't have uh, wingers. They, Vinicius is this, like all the things we've seen and we heard before. But I was a little bit disappointed from. Um, Obviously, I wanted us to see them in Europa League, <laughs> as pretty much everybody here listening to the podcast. That didn't happen. So the only hope that we had left is uh, let's hope that Atletico Madrid can snatch the game away from them. And uh, if I said that I'm disappointed with uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, I was absolutely furious with Atletico Madrid and uh, the way that they approached the game, sitting at the back, offering zero resistance to Real Madrid and just letting them play their game finding their confidence, finding, trying to create stuff and just being responsive, let's say, to what they create. Um, bad result for Atletico Madrid. Uh, not only because of the, the league standing. If you look at the league standing, they're two games behind Real Sociedad. They are at second place, equal points. So they are still in pole position if uh, managed to win the games that they have in hand. Unfortunately, when we're talking about the statements and... Uh, how the teams look and who can be favorite and stuff like that for for the title. That was the game that Atletico Madrid needed to win. And they needed to, even if they drew the game, they needed to show that they have something else than just sit back and defend and try to and hope for a counter-attack. Because when the big teams are coming in and they're playing Atletico Madrid and how to say there is some type of a threat uh, a goal-scoring threat from from those teams. That is the problem for Atletico Madrid because they cannot kind of they cannot break their habit of uh, sitting back and trying to absorb the pressure. So they never change that attitude uh, in the Real Madrid game. 
pretty pretty disappointing result. Uh, made three substitutions at half time. Uh, took Joao Felix off. Took Luis Suarez off. Just a game to forget for Atletico Madrid. And unfortunately, I feel like that is the type of game that managed to bounce uh, bounce in a different direction the season of Real Madrid. I don't know how you guys feel about that and how do you feel them now? Pretty much a week later, as we as we've seen three games uh, in the in their hands already, and now the uh, the views in terms of how Real Madrid are going to perform are completely different. Do you agree with that, or you have different view on that topic? Yeah, I I definitely think that Madrid always have that ability to turn things around. Um, I I tend to think Zidane is similar to to Solskjaer in that sense that when things seem to be going off the rails, he manages to get his team to to get out a performance to sort of save the situation. So, you know, our criticisms of Madrid went that they are incapable of performing well. They obviously have the squad and the players are to play very well. So, you know, it's going to be, it's not as steady as it was um, last season. But I think you can expect Madrid, whenever they are under the the caution, they are about to be, you know, to get into a, a, a bad situation or a bad run of form. You should expect them to pull out a performance. Um, the question is, can, you know, Barcelona do that? Like, if we get into a bad run of form, can we get a good result? Um, people may, might argue that our result against Levante is that, but I don't think our game against Levante compares to Madrid versus Atletico Madrid. Um, so, yeah, good on them, Madrid, for, you know, uh, getting three wins that, like, completely turn around their season. Um, as for Atleti, um, that was a letdown for me because coming into the game, they were better in terms of defending, in terms of attacking, in terms of their overall form. They were better in every way. But Simeone went back to his uh, defensive way of playing. But if you're playing a team like Madrid, if you tell your players to sit back and defend, all you're saying is wait until Real Madrid score. Because the more the ball they have, they're eventually going to find the back of the net. And the more you defend, the less likely you are um, to then respond with a goal because you've been sitting back uh, the entire game. Um, so, so that was a bad move tactically from from Simeone to sit back. Um, but yeah, I guess it makes the race a bit more interesting because um, now the gap in points is is a bit smaller. So, you know, it gives us a chance to 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 get in there if we can get a good run. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you for the most part. Um, Poki, do you agree? Yeah, I think um, I do agree that um, Madrid have that ability to turn things around, and uh, and you know the race for La Liga is still open, and anything can happen right now. Obviously, Atleti are still I I won't rule them out as the favorites. They still are, uh, depending on how they play and how the Champions League also goes. So they have Chelsea, and this is not an easy game, of course. So I think anything can happen for now. And I think it's been ex- exciting for La Riga as a whole, not for us because of our such poor performances and transition year. But yeah, I think uh, I'm completely on board with that, what you said. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And um, guys, we're gonna we have uh, two topics more to discuss, and I'm just wondering uh, which one should we go because one is kind of positive, I in my view, and the other one not so much, uh, not at all actually. Okay, let's go with the positive first, and uh, that is the uh, the Champions League draw. Uh, many of us were fearing that we're gonna have uh, the bad luck and the uh, the unfortunate uh, chance to draw Bayern Munich or Liverpool or even Manchester City in that fact, in that regard. So, um, with the Paris Saint-Germain draw actually being, uh, I, I don't want to say a good draw, but um, one of the draws that we had uh, some success in the past, and we can look into look into the past and say, okay, we had we had some success. We can we can take something out of those games. Uh, Possibly something mentally into the into the heads of the Paris Saint-Germain uh, players. Something stayed from the remontada, from the awful um, performance that they had in the way that they actually got knocked out of the Champions League. So I'm not really sure if that was the best draw possible, but I'm sure of one thing: this was not the worst draw possible, and um, we still have quite a lot of time up until the games are played. Um, Paris Saint-Germain currently at third in France. Um, not so much uh, positive things coming out of their camp as well. Um, Thomas Tuchel under extreme amount of pressure uh, to actually finish the season strong and manage to win something this time, and that being the Champions League actually, because um, nobody's going to give him uh, props and credit for winning the French League. They're just going to they're just going to criticize him if he doesn't. But um, what do you guys feel about Paris Saint-Germain? And do you do you think that this was the this was a, we we dodged the bullet in here, or is going to be a pretty pretty severe severe clash with Paris Saint-Germain? Um, I'm going to go first. Uh, I think it's um, very unclear, as you mentioned, that PSG are having their own set of crisis. Tuchel under pressure and mind gets sagged. You know, he had that. Uh, blew out with Leonardo, the sporting director also at the start of the season regarding their transfer signings and everything. So I don't think he's having the best time in Paris and um, he might get sacked if the performances don't improve domestically and they might get Poch in and then then Poch comes in and he just, you know, beats us at the camp now and in Paris, you know, how do how do we feel about that happening? Uh, or they go with Allegri or I don't know who else is available, uh, you know. So, But uh, Paris, PSG have not sacked their manager. Even Unai Emery after the El Remontada, uh, he sat out, sat out his contract because I think it's expensive for uh, any club to sack their manager mid-season or whatever. So I think um, PSG are not going to do that most probably, but might too. Uh, we don't know. Uh, for us, of course, uh, Champions League is just, you know, <laughs> a long-lost dream this season because it's just impossible. But uh, PSG have not been able to beat us in the Champions League. Uh, we have always gone through the next round whenever we have you know, drawn with PSG. So, that's there, of course. Um, so, but um, different narratives are there. Neymar coming back uh, to the club and facing his former club, Rafinha also. So, a couple of narratives here and there uh, are there. But uh, I still 
even if we move past PSG, next round is going to be tougher, right? We might have Bayern or City or whoever, or Real Madrid also, because the country rule does not apply in the quarterfinals. So even if we move, manage to move past PSG, we're going to be eliminated in the next round. Now, what do you think, Alvin, of the draw? What's your overall take on it? Yeah, I mean, I just think that um this draw like whichever team we got it wasn't going to be good um because given uh, the structure of how the group stages ended we had pretty much all the top teams finishing first and so if you look at the draw um at least as it was announced it seems like all the all the teams that are first i.e the teams which will be away um in the first game, they are all going to win because um, there wasn't much of uh, strong teams finishing second in the group. So um, I don't know. I guess PSG is better than Bayern, but you know, I'm just thinking about you know someone like Clement Langley um, having to face um, Kylian Mbappe. I've spoken several times about how Clement Langley is not fast and whenever uh, strikers run towards his right side, they are always able to get around him. Um, it happened again in, in, in the Levante game. I pointed it out on Twitter. Um, and I think if we remember that goal Serge Gnabry scored uh, in the Champions League, he just ran past Langley and he wasn't able to turn fast enough and catch up. So if Neymar and, and Mbappe are fit, then it's going to be tough. But then again, you know, imagine that... imagine Minguesa. Sorry, sorry to cut you. Imagine yeah. Minguesa or Araujo facing Neymar and Mbappe. That's I think worse than Longley facing them. Because yeah, just, and you know, beginners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like and but then again, you know, the Champions <laughs> League. Um, <laughs> the team that reaches the final, um, they play 13 games uh, total, so it's not a very long competition. So within 13 games, you know anything can happen. It's not like the league in which you expect the better team overall to win because there are so many games. Um, all Barcelona has to do is maybe get a lucky goal in the first leg at home, get a lucky goal, then get another one. And then, you know, just, you know, things go right um, for them and then they get through. And, you know, it's, it's, it's possible, but unlikely. Um, I'm not concerned about the Champions League because I don't think that's our biggest issue. I think our biggest issue is can we perform well in La Liga and finish top four? Um, because in the Champions League, it's unlikely that we'll get through um, all the teams that are that just, are there. Just listening to you, just listening to you say that our biggest concern is can we finish top four? It's such a worrying sentence right now. I mean, I never imagined me discussing this with someone, that Barca, can we finish top four? I mean, yeah, it's such a worry that is, I mean. You know, it's, yeah. it's strange, but you know, uh, I think a lot of us have accepted, you know, that that is now uh, the stage that went, especially given that last year we finished without a single trophy, which is very rare. Um, so, I, I don't know. Uh, we're going to we're going to have to see, um, but yeah, um, I'm I'm not concerned about the Champions League. 
The only concern, though, is I definitely think that if Messi is knocked out of the Champions League by Neymar, uh, who knows if he's going to be willing to sign another contract. Now, admittedly, uh, the Champions League starts after a few weeks after uh, uh, the presidential elections have concluded. So at that time, we expect to have a president who has a mandate and can maybe try and, you know, convince Messi to stay. But I don't think at this point Messi is concerned about, you know, what projects can happen in the future. Because remember, he's 33 years old. He doesn't have the time to wait for, you know, uh, a project to materialize. So this season counts as well. It's not just about what we're going to do next season or in the transfer window. But this season counts in terms of keeping Messi at Barcelona. So that's my biggest worry about that game is like, can we keep um, can we keep Messi uh, at Barca if we lose? So um, that that that's just my overall thought um, on that. Um, and I hear that uh, there's some uh, news about uh, Ricky Puch. Uh, Joro, can you tell us what's what's going on with Ricky Puch? Wow, what are what are the journalists saying? Um, as we as we discussed last weekend, um, we were joking about it that probably whatever happens um, in the midweek and trainings and uh, whatever happens inside the inside the Barcelona dressing room, we don't know. But uh, whatever that whatever that may be, we can we can say one thing for sure, and that is that Ricky Puch would not be starting against Levante. Um, and we were just hoping for some minutes uh, to see him on the pitch. However, uh, not only that he didn't start, he didn't record a second on the pitch, and um, he was just basically benched throughout the whole game. In the um, in the days before the game, we've seen reports from uh, uh, in Twitter, we've seen reports from El Pais, uh, from uh, El Mundo Deportivo, uh, about uh, <laughs> this is this just makes me laugh. Ronald Koeman calling uh, Ricky Puch a mole, basically a leaker of information to the press in front of the whole team. Uh, something that is uh, quite bizarre, basically, and just uh, I cannot even find an explanation in words to describe what that means uh, for for Ricky Puch and just for the dressing room of Barcelona in general. Um, we've also had uh, a lot of uh, speculation about why is he not playing from the beginning of the season and why. Uh, he doesn't get any chance to to actually uh, present his talents on the field, and even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't have a uh, future in the team, and even if he is uh, not in the plans of Ronald Koeman, he could have left on loan. But uh, obviously, he declined that in the summer, so uh, trying to fight for his place in the team. And um, Guys, let me tell you this from 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 his standpoint, in my opinion, on how he views the things. Obviously, without having any information from inside the locker room and without speaking to Ricky Puch directly. But um, I feel I feel that uh, any young player that wants to actually fight for his spot uh, on the team and has the assurance of the manager that a fair chance will be given to him. I have no problem with him staying in the team and wanting to fight for his uh, for his spot. Uh, as we see, the players that are actually used in that uh, position in the midfield are De Jong and uh, Sergio Busquets, mostly. 
we have a guy for 70-80 million euros in the bench that is uh, Pjanic. He doesn't play. We have uh, Alenia on the bench, uh, a youngster. He doesn't play. And we have uh, Ricky Puch as well. That doesn't play as well. So I'm not really sure how we're going to see the chances of, of different players playing in that position. I don't understand how we're gonna how we can actually promise somebody that a chance will be given to him when you have a guy that you bought uh, in the summer, obviously to balance the books, but still, it's uh, Miralem Pjanic. It's not you don't buy somebody from Tercera, uh, the the fifth division in Spain or whatever. You don't bring somebody on loan. Uh, this is a quality player and he cannot even start. So. I think that Ronald Koeman uh, has some problems with the midfielders and <laughs> he kind of likes Busquets and the young only. But I, I don't feel that this is a positive uh, situation for Ricky Puch at the minute. And the fact that yesterday is... Uh, this is the last thing I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it to you guys. Yesterday you have a team that starts obviously with Busquets and the young. The young played everywhere and Busquets was basically playing his position. So... How hard it is to to fit Ricky Puch in that midfield, play another midfielder, and leave a little bit more space from the people up front. Not get that congested in the in front of the penalty area. Not have everybody waiting in there to receive the ball on the foot. Um, I think these were the type of games that you can actually go and put the guy trying to break the defense a little bit, uh, try to pick a nice pass, something different. Not just wait for Messi, for Griezmann, for, for Coutinho, for those type of players. We, we understand that they, they can play and they can create a lot of things on their own. But when you have that type of a situation and you see pretty much half of your team in the penalty box and the other half keeping possession and trying to give it to them, and you don't have that guy that can actually give the ball, that can give a pass, and you see every single substitution that is made is Pedri, is Trincao, is everybody but uh, a midfielder. Pjanic sits on the bench looking like, what am I doing here? Ricky Puch, obviously, I have no idea what is he thinking and what his basic future is. But I am. Uh, I can understand why he can be upset if he doesn't get the chances. Because in my view, he has uh, a lot to offer in that Barcelona team. That is pretty much, if we, if somebody said to you three, four years ago, Barcelona is going to struggle in the midfield to hold the ball with actual midfielders. He would have said that this is a joke and like you couldn't believe it. But with that type of formations and those players that are actually playing, we don't really have a, a sustainable midfield, if you like, that can actually keep the ball and just just keep possession for a second. We have a lot of strikers. We have a lot of number tens, and um, no, we have actually one striker and a lot of number tens. And Ricky Puch somehow, some way, he cannot find himself on the field. And um, I'm not really sure about that. I think it's going to be better for him to move. But that is basically up to the club and to, up to Ricky Puch to decide that. But guys, what do you feel about Ricky Puch? And do you, do, you, do you believe that he has a future in Barcelona? And do you believe that they need to change the formation in order to accommodate him a little bit more into the play? Um. So, you, funny you mentioned the formation. Uh, so, if you notice last night when Pedri came in place of Musquets, Pedri and Puj are very similar profiled players in terms of uh, what they can offer uh, to the team. Uh, attacking midfielders, provi- providing intensity, 
going forward, looking for key passes and looking for players up front. I think Pooch broke broke to the scene in the pre-season of 2018-19 season. That was two and a half years ago from today. And um, I've been watching the player since then. He's of course uh, a, a homegrown Catalan. He is, um, you know, he embodies the philosophy. He loves the club. That's why he hasn't left. And I think what's going on in his mind is that. Um, soon uh, font shavi or laporta whoever whoever is going to come in i think they're going to have him in his plans and he's just waiting for that to happen i think that's why he hasn't left and of course when players leave on loan the, the style of play can change according to the team they're in and everything so i think because of that also he just wants to have that barca dna does not want to let that go from his game and i think that's why he hasn't left yet but a player can only take in so much so if he is not given the chances he might as well leave uh, also the news was regarding his attitude problem which i think is not true i don't i've never gotten that vibe from him that okay pooj is upset with his playing time like pianich was very vocal vidal used to be very vocal about his playing time that he's not going to play and everything and pooj given what he can bring to the team he has every right to criticize about his game time but he hasn't he always when asked about the game time he always says that you know i'm going to work harder i'm going to win the trust of the manager i'm not going to leave i'm going to succeed at barca those are his words so i don't really believe that he has an attitude problem but at the same time he has worked on the three managers now in the past 3 years uh, uh, valverde setien and koeman so and none of them have favored him given his talent and what he can bring to the team so part of me also one <laughs> makes me wonder that you know what is wrong really with pooch what is it that is not uh, correct with him not right with him that is stopping him from playing so i don't really understand this uh, of course we don't know what's happening in the dressing room like you mentioned uh, so it's not very clear at the moment but of course as fans we do want him to start and i hope when font and shabi come in he is a regular starter what do you think alvin of this whole saga around pooj um to respond to your to your question about you know what's wrong with pooj i think we should remember that he's 21 and so the fact that the two previous managers didn't play him may not necessarily be because you know there's something wrong with him or just the fact that he was young and still a a budding player in the Barca B team so he is very young um so it shouldn't be too surprising that he's not playing i think we should focus more on the kumen um on the kumen issue because it's only i think you could argue that it's only last season and this season that you can consider pooch a, a player who can be trusted in the setting 11 in terms of his development as a player he's been good um ever since but um yes he's he's still young um i personally think that it was a mistake for him to not go out on loan um i understand his passion and and desire to play in the barca team but in as far as his career goes it doesn't look like he's going to play under Kuman um he's proven his ability on the ball i i don't think anyone can claim that puch is not as good as you know 
as people say, is he's absolutely good. Every chance he's been given um, to play, he's shown that he's energetic, he's creative, he's everything that you can want from a starting 11 player. So the reason to not play him has nothing to do with his ability, but um, all to do with what's happening in the locker room. And as far as the rumors are going, I don't concern myself too much with the rumors unless if one of the parties involved comes out in a press conference and confirms them. Because, you know, we are not there, we don't have any evidence. Um, So no one really knows for sure what's true. But if we have to guess, because there's no evidence, I would say I don't believe those rumors because I don't believe that a player who wants to play um, would choose to remain at a club under a coach who doesn't like him and then show negative attitudes when it comes to training and and meetings and other you know backroom uh, activities that they are supposed to carry out. Um, I doubt it. It could be true, but um, I, I doubt that that's true. If it is, it's unfortunate, but um, at this point, I just go on what I've seen. And what I've seen is that when Pooch plays, he plays well. And Kuman has been unwilling to play him to the point that, you know, he was warming up against Levante. And when we scored that one goal, um, Kuman told him to sit um, to sit back on the bench. Um, my interpretation of that was that, you know, maybe Ronald Kuman doesn't want him to play in a situation where we're, we're at the upper, I don't know, when we have the upper hand and maybe it gives Pooch a chance to actually shine as opposed to playing him when we're, you know, uh, looking for a goal and things, there's so much uh, pressure on the team. So I'm not really sure what's going on, but um, I think that it would have been better for Pooch if he was playing um, it may be another team in La Liga where he gets regular time and actually display that he has skills um, and he is capable when given the chance to play. Um, but then again, you know, Ronald Koeman is not going to be at Barcelona for a long time. So who knows? But I just think it's a mess and it's all about Kuman and his, um, let me say, man management. I won't say anything other than that. Um, his main management historically, you know, look at Everton, Valencia, Southampton. Um, it's mess, it's it's ego filled, it's confrontational, and 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 it always leaves a mess. So I'm not surprised that this is happening. Um, and that's that's uh, that's really what we should come to expect until uh, Kuman's time at Barcelona is over. So that's what I think. Um, I don't know, Joro, if you, if you agree with me there. Um, I can I can understand your point and the fact for the, um, the the thing that you're saying about the man management and how he how he decides to use his players. Um, one thing about Kuman that I can kind of I don't want to say I'm going to go in his defense and just uh, trying to explain his uh, reasoning behind it because I really can't, but. I can understand, for example, why would you like to, when you go into a new job, you would like to give a chance to the more experienced players and uh, let's say to the highest paced players in the club and people with the largest salary, people that actually contributed to the team before, um, before your arrival, rather than just come in and say, okay, this is who's going to play, 
And yeah, I'm sorry, Sergio Busquets, but uh, you're gonna sit on the bench for a bit. So I can understand why he, how he's trying to, how he's trying to do his things in terms of his player personnel, but I don't understand how that is fitting with what he's actually trying to produce on the field. So there is a little bit of a disconnect in here, and as we've as we've spoken in the previous episodes, uh, everybody would like. Ronald Koeman to succeed. Like if he's a manager of Barcelona, Barcelona fans would want him to succeed and would support him. The thing is, you need to see something to to be able to support him. And uh, this Ricky Puig situation from a from a Barcelona fan favorite, if you like, from somebody that is on a on a equal um, on equal place, if you like, in Barcelona fans' mind, uh, same as Ansu Fati, or pretty similar to it. Now, all of a sudden, the guy is not getting a second in the team. We have a lot of uh, rumors about him. Uh, I understand Ronald Koeman in, in, in a way, and I don't understand him in a way. So it's pretty hard for, for Barcelona fans to go behind him and say, OK, we understand what you're doing, uh, and we are fully supporting your, your decisions. So it's, a, it's, it's quite, a, quite a weird situation at the minute. And... Uh, as we as we spoken it before, and that is even um, not regarding with Puch. It's just yesterday the team won, had around 24 shots, 13 on target, creating chances, but you still feel that there is something missing in there. So I think this is what the players and uh, the coaching staff need to work on, uh, trying to understand what is the face and the the whole idea of the team when they step on the field. What are they trying to do? How they're trying to do it? Because I think this is sometimes uh, lacking um, the ideas and just the general direction of the team. It's kind of a, a little bit of a free fall at the minute. And um, these type of situations are not really uh, the positive environment that is needed for, for a young players to actually grow and progress. Uh, Pokit knows about... Uh, uh, Trincao is his favorite player. He likes him a lot. <laughs> Everything that he does is amazing. But, yeah. Yeah. But, but the thing is, how do you put that guy and how do you nurture his development? How, do, how does he become better if one day you play him on the right, one day you play him on the left, one day you play him on the bench, uh, the next day he play, he comes in in the 91th minute? Like, how is that, how is that happening? I don't... The, the young players, I think we lost a little bit of a connection with the young players and Ronald Koeman isn't helping that situation at all. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. Uh, although he has, uh, you know, like development of some players is going well, like Pedri's development is going really well. Dest, of course, because, of course, Roberto is injured. Uh, and the two defenders, Mingwesa Ming and Araujo, because of injury, getting more chances. So... I think he Koeman is somehow doing well, but at the same time with Puj and Kirinkao and everything, uh, it's not good. Uh, even with Conrad, for that matter, he's the only left winger, natural left winger in the squad, and he's not playing him. He even warmed up yesterday, last night, but uh, he didn't come on. So, yeah, kind of uh, sad for Koeman, and what he's doing is not really justice. So, yeah. Thank you guys. If you have um, if we have any other suggestions, something to discuss, and something to just quickly mention. Oh, by the way, I've just seen that uh, Neymar um, 
there were rumors about how he can be without ankle injury that he had yesterday night. Possibly he's going to be out for a long time. Everybody was fearing a serious injury and all that stuff. But apparently this scan and the initial tests are quite positive and he's going to be he's going to be back pretty soon. Another examination is going to be coming in uh, 48 hours, I think, I read. So possibly for that tie with uh, Paris Saint-Germain, they're going to be in full strength <laughs> if no other injuries are occurring, uh, occurring in the meantime. So I think that is kind of what... Uh, not a positive, but yeah, for people that were afraid about Neymar and how possibly missing the game against Barcelona and the tide and just in general his health. If some if some Barcelona fans are still enjoying Neymar, I think that is a good news. And in terms of the tie, not really good news because they have the opportunity to be on full strength. Um, in terms of the um, oh another news that I've seen just now is the Xavi has been selected by the Ballon d'Or. Uh, committee in the dream uh, dream midfield yeah, and Maradona as well. Yeah, yeah. So pretty a pretty nice company for Xavi in there. Pretty nice recognition, and I think um, with the elections coming in pretty soon, we're gonna see him back in some form or fashion into the club again, pretty pretty quickly. Can't wait for that to happen, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Many many people. I, I saw as well. Anderson yesterday shared an opinion that uh, it was very very difficult for him when he had to leave Barcelona. So I think that there is some type of desire from those players, the legends of the club, uh, to be involved in the club in some way after their playing career. And um, to be honest, hopefully with the new elections, this uh, this is something that can happen. So thank you guys for all listening. Thank you, Bukit and Alvin, for being here as well with the. Uh, with the latest episode of the podcast. Uh, we're going to be back probably after the Real Sociedad game, uh, depending on the score, actually, <laughs> and uh, depending on the talking points from that game. Uh, we're going to, again, promote our uh, questionnaire and just uh, involve you a little bit, guys, more into the in our Twitter debates and uh, posting your questions, as, as always. Uh, we're going to try to do that after the Real Sociedad game and... Uh, select a couple of your questions to to be able to answer on the on the next episode and um yeah thank you for watch uh, thank you for listening again uh this week uh hopefully you enjoyed it and we're going to be back with you soon